I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. I forgot to do that whirly twirl last week, but awesome Ward uh, filled in for me on that. And I appreciate that's why that's why he's there as a co-pilot. If I miss that one button to push on final on final approach, he saves the day. Uh, awesome Ward, welcome back again to the Tim May podcast, my man. Thank you for having me. And uh, I really do like how you shoot those finals when I put you in charge, man. You do a really good job. Uh just both on engine control and the yoke, but I digress. Whatever those are. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a co-pilot for you. <laughs> you just learn it. <laughs> What's this button? I'm anyway, just, I'm just uh, attacking the beverage cart. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, steward, I mean, uh, no, excuse me, flight attendant? <laughs> almost said stewardess. That, that gets you fired now, doesn't it, if you say stewardess? <laughs> uh, but I digress again. Uh Awesome. Ohio State's headed into this four-game gauntlet. And it, you know what? It's, it's a more of an interesting schedule than we thought it was going to be eight, nine weeks ago. Most experts thought it was going to be. Uh, you know, my guest this week, Joshua Perry of the Big Ten Network, Network formerly of Ohio State football fame, you know, a linebacker on that 2014 national championship team. But uh, like he said, he picked Michigan State last in the Big Ten East this year, like a lot of people did. I kept trying to warn people, especially after I talked with uh, Mel Tucker, that, you know, they had had a major makeover of that team. And I think even Michigan realizes that now is that not only is that team pretty talented compared to even a year ago, but it plays to the end of the game, which we'll get into that maybe Michigan week on how Michigan doesn't seem to play to the end of the game. Uh, You don't get credit for the third quarter. You get credit for what the final score is. But I digress. Bottom line is, though, this – this is made for an interesting uh, wrap-up to the Big Ten East race with Ohio State playing at Nebraska, which is desperate for victory of some sort, some meaningful victory in the Scott Frost era and the Adrian Martinez era, for that matter. We'll talk about that in a minute, you and I will. Uh, and then Purdue, is any team more improved than Purdue? Maybe Wisconsin is over the last six weeks in the Big Ten. Then Ohio State hosts Michigan State and then plays at Michigan, which – Clearly, in the Jim Harbaugh era, he's going to be desperate for victory. I talked about this a long time ago, that the two road trips that really were intriguing to me on the Ohio State schedule were at Nebraska and at Michigan because you're going to have two coaches desperate to prove themselves, uh, to prove themselves in one point that a guy can beat a team he's not supposed to beat. And then in Jim Harbaugh's case, he's going to be to prove, for one of another term, that Nebraska is – I mean, excuse me, Michigan should be considered among the elite. So this this next month, the uh, the games in November are the ones they remember. As the old saying goes, it is it is a pretty good looking month. Looking forward, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know that I completely agree with the first part because uh, we've had these conversations about Scott Frost in Nebraska and trying to get a signature win and propel them. And I all I all I can ever remember are just Ohio State blowouts. And I know there have been a couple mixed in that were more competitive, but you know I'm I'm not expecting a heck of a lot on Saturday morning at 11 a.m. from Scott Frost and the Huskers. But um, I, to be uh, 
candid and fair. I didn't think that James Franklin was going to dial up that kind of performance on Saturday night that he did in the horseshoe. Maybe I should have, um, but I didn't, and I'm not going to pretend the other way, but uh, Nebraska has a very clear difference between what James Franklin and Penn State had, which is they are nowhere near as talented. They've never proven that they can dial up in a big game setting. They're uh, even somehow even more poorly coached in clutch situations than James Franklin and Penn State. So I, I know that the, there's a lot of tests, key tests waiting for Ohio State at the end, uh, and you can't fast forward through Saturday. But uh, of everything that's left, I think Nebraska is the least entertaining out of all of them in my mind. It's called a buildup. It's not, you know, you don't go up a ramp at the, at the top of the ramp. You start up the <laughs> ramp. So this is a ramp. But, but number two, you know, they have given some – they found ways to lose games in the fourth quarter is what stands out to me about this team. I think this team is better than it has been from a competitive standpoint. I'm talking about Nebraska. But they keep finding ways to lose games just like the good old days, you know. Uh, and uh, that's what's intriguing about this. And, you know, I'm just trying to add a little bit of pregame hype in there, just the fact that you you do sense of – Yeah, yeah, I know. But may, maybe the desperation part is already over. You know, maybe this is the denouement. You know, I mean, you, may be, you may be exactly <laughs> right. And like you just talked about a while ago, though, I don't think we were that wrong about Ohio State versus uh, – Penn State and James Franklin. If Ohio State had just gotten one more touchdown in the red zone, uh, then instead of running into a mud puddle down there and settling for field goals, it would have been that basic semi-blowout, if not blowout victory. I mean, uh, I think the defense, for the most part, did its part. Uh, but offensively, and we're going to talk about that after I come back from my little uh, talk with uh, Joshua Perry, but, uh, you know, clearly Urban Meyer's got to go into the, Offensive room this week, put the hood up and figure out these uh, the red zone problems that they had the other night. And uh, occasionally from time to time have plagued this team, maybe because it has too many plays at its disposal, or I'm going to opine, perhaps they tried to prove a point that they didn't really need to prove. Uh, but uh, you're intrigued by that, aren't you? Well, I don't think they'll invite Urban Meyer into that offensive meeting room, but no. uh, they will <laughs> yeah. we'll definitely we'll, we'll look at um, five trips into the red zone that don't end in a touchdown um, and, and be looking for answers to what happened there. And one of them, as we we talked about after the game, and I you know, asked Justin Zwick about this on Monday at Roosters, just kind of about the throw from C.J. Stroud and, you know, the miss to Olave. Could, could Olave have adjusted the route? Was, you know, Stroud maybe tired from running down the field on a bizarre uh, – uh, call non-call on when Penn State runs down a touchdown and loses his legs. I mean, what a, they they missed the play. It happened, and C.J. Stroud would have wanted the throw back, but that's another one that could have changed uh, the outcome. Yeah, that's what I'm talking and, about. That's the play. That's what I'm close talking about. they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I so interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think that um, Ryan Day will go in there panicked about it. Um, it's a clear thing that they have to improve on, and. The big difference, uh, obviously, this week for Ohio State is compared to week two after Oregon or two, 2018 against Purdue when they had similar red zone issues is that they weren't undone by what happened on the defensive side of the football. It was a more complete uh, performance, even without, you know, they still kick field goals and got points out of it, which you take, uh, you know, you don't want. That's not the ideal outcome if you're Ryan Day, and he's very aggressive and is going to continue to push the envelope, but, uh, you know, I think it it is worth the reminder that Penn State was very talented, yes. certainly trying everything they could to get 
uh, an upset win and turn the tide around for their program. Uh, it was just that just made for a weird dynamic where Ohio State could have easily won that game by a lot more. They had their own problems, but Penn State deserves some credit for creating a few of them as well. It's just that yeah. part was a little bit mixed bag, but you don't ever, uh, you know, turn your head and, and scoff at a nine point win over Penn State. Yeah. A two-score win, and that's what I talked about, you know, when we did our rapid reaction. Uh, you know, yes, you want more than a field goal, but when you get a field goal, those are still points. You know, those are still scores that the other team has got to deal with. And uh, uh, bottom line, Noah Ruggles has been perfect. I mean, knock on wood, I'm sure he does every day. Like he said, the next kick's the most important one. But, wow, that guy come, transfers in from North Carolina and has delivered the goods. You, you got to agree on that, don't you? Yeah, he, he seems like he is definitely all business. We've only got to talk to him a couple times since he's been on campus, but yeah. he, he appears to take that craft very seriously, and uh, he has delivered every time Ohio State's needed him, and they never needed him more than in uh, you know a tight one-score game in the fourth quarter against Penn State, trying to put it away, and that may have been the uh, least effective looking of his kicks, but it went through the uprights, Yeah, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters, man. Just like a hockey goal, if it bounces off the uh, goalie and off the goal post and into the into the thing, or if it goes right through, it's the same point. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I'm just curious if Ruggles ice cream has come through yet for him, you know what I mean, from an NIL standpoint. But uh, maybe we'll get into that in a minute. Probably won't. But, uh, hey, let's get to my interview with uh, Joshua Perry. He's been on this podcast before a while ago. But, uh, you know, he's fast becoming one of the more – popular watches out there when it comes to college football, especially on the Big Ten Network. He's quite opinionated, uh, but his opinions are backed up with uh, pretty good research and, and for, the, for the most part, facts. And uh, uh, as you, I mean, I've always enjoyed my conversations with Joshua Perry. So let's go right to that interview. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, a command reappearance on the Tim A podcast by Joshua Perry. Perry. Welcome back, my man. How are we doing? Uh, pretty good, man. You know, uh, you know, I'm semi-retired. You're doing the opposite of semi-retired. You're overhired. You know, I don't know yes. if you agree with me or not, but, uh, you know, where people know you now big time and you're becoming more popular by the moment. Matter of fact, I think you just picked up 10 more followers in the last five seconds. <laughs> you know, it's on the Big Ten Network. Uh, you're one of those experts out there telling people, you may you may think you saw this, but this is what you really saw. You know, you're one of those guys, right? <laughs> That's what I try to be. And, and I also like to admit when I saw it wrong uh, so I can keep maintain my credibility. I'm not necessarily a die on the hill type of guy in this business, because the more information that we get, the more our opinions should evolve. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm telling you, Florida was good at the beginning of the year type thing. But uh, yes, but I that's just an example. Hey, real quick, let's you know, give people a little taste of uh, coming out of uh, you got to watch Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State, Penn State, Ohio State's first real test since Oregon, in my opinion, and it definitely was a test. But uh, what, what's just your overall view of Ohio State now, uh, eight games into the year, after that win at home, 33-24 over Penn State? Uh, what, just what's your take on Ohio State at this point? Yeah, I mean, they're a really good football team, and I think that we're starting to realize and understand that. And I haven't watched back the full game. I watched Ohio State's defense. I uh, haven't watched their offense yet against what Penn State was putting out there. But I know a lot of people have some questions about the offensive performance because it wasn't, you know, 50 points and 600 yards like you saw against some of the lower competition. And I think that was to be expected. I mean, it was 466 yards, and C.J. threw the ball pretty well. Um, against the Penn State secondary, that's probably the best Ohio State's going to see at least until they would make it to CFP 
type of situation. Um, and I thought it was really good for Ohio State to have challenges and things to not be easy offensively and to have to maybe dig a little bit deeper and perform well. Um, defensively, it's really unique because I think Penn State's offense is better than what the statistics would show. Um, in the game that they played against Wisconsin at the beginning of the year, and we see the way Wisconsin's defense is playing, and if you haven't seen it, I would say that they're really freaking good. Um, you know, they, they had – some challenges there and they didn't run a ton of offensive plays. Wisconsin dominated the ball that game. And so their output was kind of low. Um, you look at the game against Iowa, obviously that one is, is it's going to skew the statistics simply because they didn't have their starting quarterback in there. And that was another good defense. Um, Illinois was an aberration. Penn state is a solid football team. Um, getting into some X's and O's for you. What I see is really unique is this change in Ohio State's defense because guys are playing faster. I think they understand the concepts a lot better. They're creating turnovers. They're scoring on defense, all the things that you would want. But they're still giving up plays. Yeah. And it's not killing them right now, but it's something that sticks out in my mind. Yeah. When you dive into the tape, the thing that stands out to me the most is that Ohio State struggles to get sacks and pressures on the quarterback when they only rush four. And when you're running a cover two defense, that becomes an issue because it's good for underneath coverage. You can get strong in the flats. The corners can get jams on outside receivers, but there's only two deep zones. So if anything's able to make it down the field, it gets really soft. And that's what happened to Ohio State a lot of times um, when Penn State was able to just kind of throw in that 10 to 15 yard range. Um, and so that's something I'll be looking at when they get aggressive and they want to get pressure. They're blitzing. A lot of times they're sending six and they're running what we call hot coverage, which is a two underneath three deep coverage. We ran it when I was at Ohio State. Yeah. And it's basically a middle finger to the defensive backs uh, if you can't hit the quarterback because there's so much space out there. And, um, you know, you're basically having to break on the football as soon as it's thrown and hopefully make a tackle in space. It's tough, but they've been able to come up with big plays out of that. So I'm looking at this evolution as something that's really unique because plays have been there. But also Ohio State has created a ton of havoc, and that's exactly what you want out of a defense. I was going to say, I haven't seen Ohio State blitz this much in a long time. I mean, because they yeah. are having to augment, you know, I mean, without a doubt. And and the thing about it is they've had some pretty good blitzes, you know, over yeah. there, uh, especially uh, even uh, – but, but if the blitz doesn't get there, like you just said, that little soft zone, man, is like easy pickings. And uh, uh, at least it was, you know – driving down the field you still got to get into the red zone and score but uh uh let me ask you this troubling is this a troubling stat Ohio State got into the red zone I think I'm trying to remember the stat I think it was six times scored one touchdown kicked four field goals and then of course you remember that fourth down play the the pass to Chris Olave which came up short uh because uh CJ Stroud thought he was going to stop at the goal line because of the way the defense was reacting but Olave was wide open kept going and it looked like you know, Tim May throwing the ball, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, but is, is, is the red zone is against a good defense like that is the red zone problem the other night, a trouble troubling. If you were a coach, would that be troubling to you? I think it would be, but go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's always troubling and you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're scoring seven instead of three, yeah. uh, you know, defenses call those four point plays and you'd like to walk away saying that you save four. Um, and so Penn State, that's actually been a point of emphasis for them. And that goes back to the beginning of the season there. They have a bend, but don't break type defense. And they're one of the best red zone defenses in the country. Yeah. And so it was going to be a big challenge for Ohio State. And you can even look at how terrible they were against Illinois. 
given up all those rushing yards. They were all given up in the field because once Illinois got in tight, it was really hard for them to actually score points. Nine overtimes is proof of what happens when you get Penn State in a small area trying to score. Yeah. Um, and so for Ohio State, I think it's it's two things. It's number one, I think that the offensive line had more struggles than they had had all year. And that is very apparent when the field gets in tight because you see defenses now bring more people close to the line of scrimmage and it becomes a little bit harder um, to run the football in those scenarios. And then I think the other thing, too, is just uh, the I'm not exactly sure that Ohio State has totally unleashed everything it can offensively. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because you got a young quarterback who you, you don't want to give it entirely too much to and you want to play your best ball at the end of the year. So that'd be interesting. Now, the one thing that I say would be an immediate fix, and this is something that works out in the field, but especially in the red zone is when you have a quarterback who is a willing participant in the run game. Um, It's, it's very difficult to win the numbers battle when the field is that short, there's just not enough space. And so lining it up and trying to knock people around isn't as efficient um, then when you can say, let's just get plus one in the run game and have a guy who can make plays. And it doesn't have to be the JT Barrett, be a fullback. Um, it, it is more so get the yards that are there and then slide. Um, and I don't think Ryan Day is a coordinator who is a quarterback run guy. And CJ wants to be a pocket passer. So there's going to be something that has to give there. And it's probably four to eight chances a game where he runs the ball. It's all it needs to keep a defense kind of on edge a little bit. But that is one thing immediately that improves Ohio State's ability to score in the red zone. Yeah. I mean, you know what? The other night you could see it. I mean, you could see what a difference that would make. And then you, you know, you remember back in 2019 when Justin Fields ran the ball several times quite effectively against Penn State, and it just opened things up in that game. And, heck, I even had Graham Rahal, you know, the IndyCar driver, <laughs> text me in the middle of the game. He goes, why won't this why won't this guy won't run? Why don't they run C.J. Stroud? It would change everything. Yeah. And I, I truly believe that also. I mean, it just – it would change everything in both sides. And, you know, like you, like you just said, though, you got a first-year starting quarterback. You want to bring him along, but you don't want to over – you know, oversaturate him. He's got enough – you know, uh, of a, of a challenge, just understanding what's going on in front of him to begin with. Right. Yeah. And, and I think Ryan and the staff are smart enough to understand that coaches are most often quarterback killers when the quarterback isn't playing well, it's, it's typically because they're asking too much or they're, they're forcing a square peg into a round hole yeah. or, you know, the inventory is too big. Right. And so I think Ryan has the self-awareness to let CJ naturally progress. And then once he starts to see it come together with all the concepts that are in, he'll start to add more. And that's the way to do it. And and if you're Ohio State, especially the way that the, the schedule has built, it's worked out for them to do it that way because you haven't had to worry about, you know, the next opponent is going to be this this matchup team where, you know, we're going to have to be our best and we're probably going to have to have an expanded inventory. It's been some lesser competition where you can really grow into it. Now, as we head into the latter part of this year, there are going to be some matchup opponents on the schedule where you're going to have to have maybe some more inventive scheme and you're going to have to say, quarterback, go out there and make some daggone plays. And I think they're capable of it, but right now this is the proper build for them. Daggone. Yeah, I guess they probably do say, go out there and make some daggone plays. Yeah, it's, it's typically a word that starts with the uh, the letter F. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but you digress just like I did. Uh, 
Uh, but, you know, I was going to say the flip side of that is they did make, uh, I think it was five or six trips into the red zone, only came up with one touchdown. But, you know, Noah Ruggles has not missed a has not missed a field goal or an extra point so far. You know, and I'm sure every time somebody brings that up, he knocks on wood somewhere. But yeah. it did show that the potential for that game to be a bigger score than it was for Ohio State was there, right? I mean, as opposed to they weren't getting stymied at the 50-yard line. So, the, you know, how do, how, do, how do players, how do coaches take, you know, that kind of – do they just take that as a, you know, this is how good we can be if we just fix this one more thing? Or is that a major concern, red zone, going going into the last four games, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a double edge where there's a heightened awareness of, of what they have to do in the red zone. But you can also sit there and say, all right, we want a little bit clunkier than we would have liked to. You add 20 to the score and it's a completely different outlook and people are talking differently. Um, yeah. I'm a firm believer that these are the type of games that make you better is when you go out there against an opponent that has um, better talent than what you've seen and things are a little bit sloppy and it doesn't always go your way, but you're in, you're able to come away with a pretty comfortable win at the end of it. You can really build off of that. And one of the things that Luke Fickle used to like to do after a game like this was coach really, really hard because you're feeling good about a big win, a night game that was on national TV, but you also look at the tape and say, all right, uh, we got to clean some things up. And so you can get on guys, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to be critical and it's a lot easier to coach hard and, and to receive coaching uh, when you're winning rather than that being, you know, even a, a, a way tighter margin or a loss, which would have been probably the end of the world in Columbus, if, you know, houses would have gone for sale. And, uh, you know, there would have been people still drunk this this Monday morning as we record drinking away their sorrows. You're not yeah. dealing with that. And so you can go and you can prepare and you can get better. Yeah. Yeah. But aren't you in the real estate? Aren't you in the real estate game? So, I mean, that would yes. really have, you know, maybe a little bit of a spark for the market. I mean, uh, more houses yeah. up for sale. I mean, Sure. Inventory. You know what you guys are calling it? Inventory. Yeah. So you would have you would have you would have been a beneficiary of that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's that's exactly it. I would have been calling people. Hey, man, you know, the Bucks lost again. It might be time to, to think about a new locale. I know you were talking about Florida or Arizona. I can make that happen. Maybe go to Texas. Tim, May, you know about Texas. Yeah. yeah there's, there's plenty of places to build a house in Texas. I know that for a fact. Uh, but I digress just like you just did. Uh, bottom line, too, though, is. You know, there were a couple of times, quite a few examples on 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 Saturday night where I thought Penn State's defense snookered Ohio State's offensive line. I mean, you know, Ohio State with those double teams coming off, you know, zone and then reaching to the second level and stuff. And there were guys, it's almost like they were setting them up to take advantage of a double team and a guy just shooting by a guy before he got before he could reach, you know, and uh and get to him and stuff. And I, I that could be an eye opener for offenses coming down coming down the street, couldn't it? I mean, yeah, I got to take it coming down the street. I got to take a look at the tape on that because what's what is mind boggling to me is that you, as an offensive lineman, you are coached to not climb on the double team until you have secured the down lineman. Like that's yeah. the guy who can make the play immediately. On the second level, the expectation is C.J. Henderson, uh, or sorry, Travion Henderson, Henderson, or yeah. um, Mayan Williams can make a guy miss. Or he can run through a tackle, right? So the, yeah. the guy with his hand in the dirt is the one to block. And I'm not exactly sure what was going on there, but it was almost like, you know, they were hand help and then it was get to the second level right away. And guys were just, you know, they're they're falling off blocks and they're, they're making tackles at the line of scrimmage. Um, hadn't seen it before. So maybe it was just an aberration and something that, you know, the game plan was such and, and the way that Penn State was playing was such that, that was an opportunity, um, but it's something that if it pops up again, is going to be a real issue. 
But you played defense big time. You played big time defense. There, you know, there, there are some defense that do a good job of what I call double teaming an offensive lineman. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's what and, – and then you put it in a quandary, that guy, and you saw it happen to Thayer Munford a few times the other night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about people watching the game where he was kind of like left blocking nobody, and they had penetration, you know. And uh, it was like – you know, it, it was – it was interesting. Like his guy, he lined the guy lined up seemingly over him, didn't come like he thought he would. They double team like Nicholas Petit Frere. And then all of a sudden, Thayer looks to the inside, and the guy on the inside has already shot the A gap between him and uh, Luke Whippler, who has been engaged with a defensive lineman. And boom, they, you got you got a guy standing there not blocking anybody, and they got two guys in the defensive backfield, you know, I mean, offensive backfield. And you kind of go, you can't run against that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's something uh, that's, that's go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's definitely different, but it goes back to kind of, you know, your, your base football where you got to make sure that that guy is secured. Like if yeah. he's, if he's, if he's gone, he's gone. But if you're not sure, stay on, yeah. right? Because the guy on the second level is way less dangerous than the guy who's right there to immediately make the play. It almost, it almost looked like a trap block, right? Yes. Where you, you let the guy penetrate. He thinks he's going to make the play and then he's getting whammed. Yeah. But there was no trap on there. So it was really interesting watching it. Yeah, the trap was not set. Kind of like why reason I have mice occasionally. You know, we live out here on a farm <laughs> and stuff. Sometimes you got to set the trap and then put another one. When he backs off of that, he gets his legs caught. You know, He's either way, you got the mouse. You got to get a cat. You don't yeah. have to worry about the No, trap. dude, we got the – this is a true story. We got four cats because we inherited one from my daughter. And we that's – four cats to me is four too many. But number two, because our black lab is the real star in our house. Yes. But, uh, but none of them chase mice. But we have a – we inherited a chicken from uh, two months ago or so, showed up in our place. I never knew chickens go after mice like this chicken does. And, you know, really? I'm thinking about bringing her indoors. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> By the way, speaking of that, uh, my wife and my black lab saved her. A hawk came down and came after her the other day. And uh, my black lab went running at him and ran the hawk off. But uh, you live in the wilderness. This isn't a No, farm. I don't. Actually, they're like, there's 50 homes going up right next door to us right now. You know, I mean, but I think all the wildlife. All the wildlife looking for refuge in our little four and a half acres. <laughs> <laughs> or as we call it, too few acres. Hey, yeah. let's jump ahead now. Uh, so the biggest lesson you think coming out of this game for Ohio State is there are some tough, there are some tough nuts down the road, number one. Yeah. And number number, but number two, you passed this test. You didn't pass the first test of the year against uh Oregon. Major changes were made. What I did like about this Ohio State defensive performance is it did show a lot of the tools that are in their toolbox now that they're willing to use, right? I mean, uh, yeah, there's still some – definitely some tightening needs to go on, but you got to be impressed a little bit with that, that they do have a, a deeper toolbox, don't you, Josh? Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing that has emerged over this year is that um, – it, and it was funny, some of the discourse from early on after the Oregon game, like people were so ready to say that Ohio state didn't have the talent to play good defense. And I'm sitting here like, I know recruiting rankings aren't everything, but I mean, that's a a big part of the equation and Ohio state knows how to evaluate guys. Like I I don't understand where that thought process came from. In my mind, it was always that they were playing a step too slow and in that, um, you know, maybe they weren't fully understanding what the assignment was. And once they got that figured out, it changed. And like I said, there's still plays that they're giving up, but the thing that's different now is they're getting the sacks and the tackles for loss and they're creating the, the turnovers They're they're forcing teams 
into bad situations offensively. Um, and they're scoring on defense. It, it's a huge deal to be able to score on defense. And so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're starting to see guys now. Like, I, I linebacker room is really thin, but a guy like Steel Chambers, who was um, unceremoniously ejected from the game on Saturday, like, wow. that dude is really good. I think he's a very good player. Yeah. Burke is a really good player. The yeah. guys on the interior of the defensive line, that is the strength right now. Yeah. Like, there, there are some playmakers out there, and I think it only continues to get better the more reps they get. Yeah. And I think Ronnie Hickman, man, Ronnie Hickman's been a, you know, the rocket. Ronnie the rocket. Yeah, Ronnie the rocket. Man, I'm telling you, I like, I, I keep referring to he and Steel Chambers, uh, uh, to him and Phil Cham- Steel Chambers as a, uh, they're, they're almost like two guided missiles now. Ohio State shoots at people that they didn't have that weren't a, weren't that weren't obvious back in uh, the first uh, two games of the year. Even though Ron Hickman made a hell of a lot of plays in that Minnesota game, for example, but uh, and against uh, Oregon. But I mean, these guys are playing big time. But like you just said, you know, yeah, all of a sudden these guys were overrated uh, in the recruiting, et cetera. You, you know. You always look slower when you're not moving. You know, I don't know if you know that or not. You know, a tree looks slower than a guy walking past it. Uh, Is that something you learned in physics class? No, I just learned it. I mean, I just like that that narrative about Ohio State's defenses, even back when you played it, even before that. You know, is that uh, you know the Florida game gave uh, way back in 2006 gave people the wrong. You know, you're trying to play a soft little zone. I'm not. I'm talking about 2006 against Florida. Ohio State was. And you're always going to look good, look slower than the guy running by you because you're not moving. I mean, right. and that, that that enhanced that narrative. The SEC has all the speed, and you you know even when you played Ohio State, y'all had speed. You know what sure. I mean? Y'all yeah, Alabama up. found out. Yeah, is y'all yeah is Alabama found? That's my point. I mean, and uh, but once guys know where they're going and what they're supposed to be doing, you know, you can see it right in front of your eyes. Ohio State has a very dynamic defense, which should get better. Like you said, they made. I thought Tyreek Smith had a hell of a game the other night. You know, that's what they've kind of been missing from that defensive end group. Uh, the week before, Zach Harrison had a pretty good game against Indiana. I thought he played pretty well the other night, but they just got to continue to get that rise from their defensive ends because, you know, people have been so used to seeing that dynamic on the field, right? Yeah, and that is – that is it goes back to the comment I made earlier. I think that the, the thing that they have to be able to do by the end of the year is get home with four guys so yeah. they can play coverage. Um, because, you know, down the stretch, there are going to be some offenses that can cause some issues. And especially when you have to send, you know, five or six guys to get home, um, they're, the coordinators are going to have schemes for that, and the players will be able to take advantage of it. So yeah, yeah. if they can play a four-man rush, and, and whether that's, you know, doing games and twists up front to maybe even free them up, I have no problem with that. Uh, doesn't have to be a straight rush, but four guys getting after the quarterback has to be something that they can do. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they, they've got a zone scheme going too they are now, you know, I mean, that, uh, you know, they're dropping guys occasionally, all that kind of stuff. They're, they're mixing it up. I want to get into this. Uh, uh, so the reset, this was the big showdown. Uh, what do you call it? Statement Saturday. Michigan State made a hell of a statement, <laughs> right? Down 16 at home to your big brother, end yeah. quote. And uh, those were air quotes I put around there for folks who are just listening <laughs> on Spotify or Apple podcast or whatever uh and you come back and win that game dude number one what does that do for the dauber of mel tucker as i call them as i call them the fighting mel tuckers in michigan state and what and you can just answer maybe in the same paragraph what does it do to the to their big brother team otherwise known as michigan and jim harbaugh 
Sure. Uh, first off, Mel Tucker, I think the world of him, I think he is a great coach. I got to watch him in action up close in preseason camp. And uh, here's the best way to describe him is he's always hoarse because he's yelling constantly. Yeah. He's yelling at players. He's yelling at his assistant coaches. I watched him yell at a guy who was doing the social media video because he put the wrong music with the recruiting video. I, I watched him get on it. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I said it. he's like yelling at the guy. And then he starts talking the Big Ten Network crew out there. He starts talking to us again. He said, yeah. He's like, you know, I tried to tell him more than once that we need to get some different music on the recruiting videos. He said he just ain't getting it done. He said that's not going to be good enough. That's how he operates all the yeah. time. It yeah. is absolutely amazing. And so I think this is the, the difference for the Michigan State Spartans and the Michigan Wolverines is Michigan did more than enough to win that football game. 552 total yards. They threw it for 406. Cade McNamara had never played a game like that before. And I, I said this before the game. I didn't think it was because he couldn't do it. I think it was because they never put him in a position. They did on Saturday. And he bought out. Michigan did more than enough to win that football game. But Mel Tucker's guys are mentally tougher. And Jim Harbaugh, I feel like this has been a thing for his guys is they fade. They've been bad in the second half of games, and they haven't won the games they're supposed to. Mel Tucker wasn't going to let that happen, and he never strayed from the script. And it was amazing, right, because they had the two fourth down plays that they went for, and they didn't just go for them. They were going for the end zone on the fourth downs. They're like, we're not just going to convert this. We're going to score. And they got close both times. And then they went for two instead of kicking the extra point in two critical situations. And those are the differences in games where Mel's guys are getting beat on defense. Like they are getting beat, like they stole something. And Mel's like, screw it, we're going to stay aggressive. And that's how they win games. And they're doing it with lesser talent. And I think that 90, however many yard reception from that kid who's from East Lansing who plays for the Wolverines, um, he totally outran the whole defense. Like Michigan State, they're suffering from the end of D'Antonio's tenure and the players that he recruited. But they're rising above their level because they have a coach who's taking them there. Yeah. As I look at Michigan, I think Michigan settles to where they are typically because their coach doesn't have that same killer instinct. And that was 100% the difference in the game. To me. Yeah. By the way, I, I got I know Mel Tucker extremely well. Used to used to talk with him as often as I could when he was at Ohio State, you know, with uh, Coach Trussell. And, uh, yeah. uh, but I've, he and I have kept in touch all the way through his uh, – career because I just think he's he's one of those guys he just you just need to give him a chance as a head coach remember the Jaguars had him for a little while uh yeah. he was the interim head coach for a little while and then you know they went another direction and they've now they finally ended up with Urban you know what I mean it's like right. so right. I'm not sure the rebuild has ever has happened for them yet but but my point is he's he's a really sharp guy but he's a real person you know he's mm-hmm. a he's in your he is an in your face no hose barred telling you exactly what he thinks at every moment, you know exactly where you stand with him at all times. You know, even when dealing with him, and uh, uh, and but but what you, where you give him really credit here, Joshua, with people weren't catching on to in the summer. And I kept trying to tell people nobody nobody made over their team via the transfer portal or JUCO or wherever or sort of like I don't know if running guys off is the right term of putting it, but hey, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to play here. You know, it's kind of like more the way of putting it. Than that guy did, right? And yeah. he had a vision, and that vision has come true. Am I saying they're on the level of Ohio State? I don't think so. Of course, we're going to find out, you know, in three weeks. But 
it's amazing how a guy had this vision and some people were poo-pooing it, but it is the modern vision of college football. Go out and get some players because they're out there now in the transfer yeah. portal. And it's it's crazy what he's done, right? Yeah, I mean, he revamped it. And I think in, in the program right now, there's like 33 or 35 new players between, um, you know, guys coming out of high school and transfers that he got in. And I think yeah. the, the transfer impact is, is present and it. it's, it's as visible as Kenneth Walker, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that guy, if they don't have that guy, yeah. this is a different season. Yeah. And I mean, it, that is exactly what it is. And the most impressive thing about this too is – I picked this team like many other analysts to finish last in the East, gave them no shot, no chance. They were two years away in my mind. Weren't supposed to be this good. And Mel Tucker said, damn all you people in the media who picked us last. I'm going to show you that we're a much better team than anybody anticipated. And now they're putting themselves in a position to be fighting for the college football playoff, probably at worst a new year six game. In year two of Mel Tucker, absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Hey, real quick, uh, before we get into the Big Ten West, uh, which is, wow, uh, it, this is going to be an exciting last four weeks of the year for Ohio State, right? At Nebraska, hosting Purdue, hosting Michigan State, you know, Purdue, oh my goodness, you know, uh, <laughs> it just shows you teams can get better as a year goes on. Speaking of right. uh, writing a team off, and then, of course, the, the game at the big house, uh, James Franklin, I think, understands now the big house is at Michigan. Oh my goodness, what a what a week he had! But uh, but the bottom line is this this is quite the gauntlet Ohio State's about to run because you're running into desperation, desperado, otherwise known as Scott Frost, this yeah. week at at Nebraska. They've been so close to winning so many games this year. Then you got Jeff Brom, and we all know what he did to Ohio State several years ago. And then yep. Michigan State and Michigan, what what a run, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's really interesting. Uh, looking at Nebraska, they have athletes, they have good players. They they literally can't get out of their own way. And me and Jerry Donardo, who's on the Big Ten Network with me, went back and forth on one of the post games about this team because you know he's and he's like a lot of us where we're very critical of Scott Frost and we don't think that um, you know he has done enough with the team to break through in these games. But I also made the comment that this Scott Frost ain't the one turning the football over and Scott Frost ain't the one committing penalties. And he's not the one making bonehead special teams plays or missing kicks. I said, that's on players. And and I don't think there's a player in that locker room who's taking control enough to say, all right, guys, we're done doing this. We're done being close enough. We want to be great. Um, And you can go back and forth. I think a lot of that is how much you buy into leadership, whether you're going to be one of those guys, but I'll share this story because I didn't have the time to share it on television, but I learned at the end of 2013 where we lost to Michigan State and I saw Urban dejected and lost and reeling for questions for the first time in my career is their, you know, our 25th game where we ended up finding that out. Right. Yeah. And then um, we, we ended up losing in the Orange Bowl to Clemson. And that was a little bit of a, a different situation because it was a bowl game that none of us really wanted to be in. We thought we'd be playing for a national championship. And, um, you know, how much are you going to be totally bought in when you get to spend five days in Miami? But we didn't have the guys at that point who wanted to say, okay, where the buck stops here, we're going to go out, we're going to win this game, we're going to end the year off right. Um, And Urban, as great of a leader as he was, he was just unbearable at times after losing games. And so we go into the 2014 season, we went on the road in our our first game and then our home opener, we lose. 
And we see Urban again, dejected and reeling and, and asking all of the questions. The difference for us that year was we had some players that made decisions said, F it, like this, this is it. This is, we're not a team that is, you know, three out of four games are losses. That is not who we are. That's not who we've been. And so we're not going to be that. And I'm not exactly sure they've had a guy in that, and I'm not in that building, but I'm not exactly sure Nebraska's had that guy. And all of that to say, until somebody makes that decision, Ohio State could probably play as sloppy as they want to. Nebraska's literally going to say, all right, this is is the time where we're going to lose it. We're going to give you guys a win. Not to say that Ohio State should not take them seriously uh, because they can be dangerous. It is to say that as close as Nebraska might try to play them, I don't have any confidence they can actually win a game like that. Yeah. But isn't it, isn't it amazing, though, when you look at uh, how a coach has tied himself to a quarterback? I'm talking about Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez, because Adrian Martinez at times looks really good. Yeah. But, wow, it just seems like there's a mistake or four in the course of a game, in the big games where he's – I mean, and it's, it's uncanny the, the way his career has gone. I mean, I, like I, I, keep, I keep saying this is their last – this is their last shot, in my opinion, against a big-time opponent to show what both of them are all about. I mean, yeah. and, I, and I know, the like you said, the coach doesn't play, but he recruits the players. He's the one who puts the players on the field. This is my best guy at this position, you know, and that, that guy's been Adrian Martinez for him at quarterback, and we all know what that means to a football team. It, it, is, it is that moment, right? Yeah, but it's interesting to me, though, because he's probably the, the best guy that they have yeah. to play quarterback. Like – I, that's a hard decision to make if you're Scott and obviously you, you try to out recruit what you have on the roster currently, but like, who, who's he going to go to that? You yeah. said it like he, he gets your hopes up because he makes some phenomenal plays. And then all of a sudden he's going to fumble it or he's going to throw you four interceptions in one game when he only had three on the season coming in. Like, yeah, it's going to yeah. be something like that, that Martinez is going to do. Um, Scott Frost though is an interesting character in this regard is we listened to him for three years, talk about how he needed time to get his players in and the rock, you know, the cupboard was bare in the set in the third. And then he got the players in and they got really close and he's, you know, it's the same old movie, but one of the lines that he says that just really makes me think is, well, you know, our guys are going to be motivated. I don't have to do that. If I got to motivate the guys, I got the wrong ones in here, buddy. They're paying you $5 million a year. You better be a motivator too. You're not just a coach. You are you are a cheerleader and a coach for five million bucks a year. And I think that might be the difference there is maybe he believes in the maturity of his locker room a little bit more than he should. Or maybe he believes in this mentality of the Nebraska that he played at where, um, you know, the guys get hyped themselves and they only got to get hyped for a couple of games a year because they should be able to win the rest of them. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's it's a very – unique kind of uh, mentality he has as a head coach. When he played at Nebraska, there was a standard. You know what I mean? The, it was an ongoing legacy standard yes. that, you know, and the problem is for Nebraska right now is over the last 20 years or so, that's, you know, they've leaned on the standard of the 90s. You know what I mean? As in, you, you, if you follow my drift, they haven't set yeah. their own standard. And uh, well, you, know, you know, the issue in that, and this is the issue in the territory that Michigan's getting into, is none of the cats on that roster right now were alive in the 90s. Exactly. You know, there's probably a couple, but most most of the guys, they have no recollection of how good Nebraska was. Shoot, I was born in 94. 
And that was like right in the middle of their heyday. Uh, They don't, they don't have guys who know about that. Um, Michigan is a similar way. A lot of their players would have, would not be alive. And I would say every player on their roster wasn't coherent as a youngster to have seen them win their last big 10 championship. Yeah. And they're still relying on the trophies in the lobby to bolster their brand, right? As, as what they are. And it's both of them right now. They're, they're in something needs to change to where they say, all right, as much history as we have here, I'm pressing the reset button. I'm not talking about those guys until we can say that we're like those guys. We have no reason to talk about any of the great teams that came before here until we're a great team. Yeah. Champions of the West probably doesn't even make any sense, you know, from their fights no. on. Probably doesn't even make any sense to any of those players. When the Big Ten was the West Conference, the Western Conference, you know what I mean? That's how far it goes back from a – yeah. it's. It, hey, Josh, before we go, before we real quick, uh, it, it is stunning, though, uh, how this series turned in your lifetime, isn't it? I mean, it, it's – I'm talking about Ohio State-Michigan. It is stunning, isn't it? I mean, you yeah. can – you look at it back now. See, I look at every game. Every, every year, that game is the referendum really on that year. But, man, after two decades, it's the referendum is amazing. It, there, there is something going on there that, you know, that's, that's really crazy when you think about it. It is. And it's, it's so funny. I was talking to uh, a, a very close friend of mine in the media business who is a, a, a huge Michigan fan. And he was talking about how Ohio State, would never lay an egg against Michigan the way that they kind of did against Penn State. Not to say that Ohio State's performance was bad, but it was sloppy. They never play sloppy against Michigan because it matters that much. Yeah. Right. And even as the rivalry has been diluted, maybe nationally to some people, Buckeyes don't give a damn. They don't care. And that's, I mean, that is the mentality that Ohio State has taken to it since I've been around. Obviously, during my days there and thereafter, it has been that it is the most important thing that you can do. You hear the coaching staff talk about it when any other team would be with the talent and the success that Ohio State's had. Any other team would come into the season talking about, yeah, you know, we've got our eyes on the CFP. And you don't hear the guys say that. They say we want to beat Michigan. We want to win a Big Ten championship. And then we want to compete for a national title. But it always starts with we want to beat the team up north. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, and here's Michigan having lost uh, another rivalry game this past weekend. And uh, uh, now they've got to get, you know, cause they're not out of it. You know what I mean? No. Uh, they need some help, but they're not out of it. And uh, whatever. Hey, real quick before we go, uh, big 10 West, how would you explain it to people? Uh, crap shoot. Who have <laughs> you got your eye on right now? I mean, do, Minnesota, Minnesota, yeah, we're, Wisconsin. We're, we're, we're talking about a possible rematch, Minnesota, Ohio State. Ohio State can run the can run the gauntlet here, right? But uh, but Wisconsin I said that in, in week one as well. Actually, I said yeah. there's a, there's a chance yeah. that Minnesota would be good enough to win the Big Ten West, and you could see a rematch of week one and week thirteen in Indy. You know right? why? Because all people saw was that running back at Minnesota, and when he went out for the year, but it's not a one trick pony. PJ Fleck no. has, has put together a pretty decent program there. He's recruited very well, especially for Minnesota, and yep. it's showing up big time now, right? It is, and the defense has steadily improved for Minnesota throughout the season. I think yep. they had some guys across their um, defensive line and at the linebacker position really emerge. 
as very good players, their offensive line is a well-oiled machine. I mean, yeah. it, it could potentially be the best in the Big Ten when it's playing their their best. I mean, that's how good they are there. Uh, Tanner Morgan hasn't returned to 2019 standards, but he has played very good football. Uh, he's led that team. He's been efficient when he's had to throw the ball, but unquestionably the run game is something that really works for them because PJ is a time of possession kind of guy. He's old school when it comes to that, having yep. worked with a guy like Trestle in his past. Um, and so he wants to run the play clock all the way down and then snap the ball, run it, and then do the same thing over and over again. And it really works for him. Yeah. Um, well, the other team in the West would be Wisconsin as of right now. And I thought they were dead in the water because they looked bad. Like Graham Mertz looked like he couldn't throw a damn football. Yeah. And um, they figured out how to run it. And they their defense figured out how to take the football away. And now all of a sudden they put themselves back in that conversation. D- dumb question here, but when you see was it Jalen Burgers at the kid's name that uh, all of a sudden they just dismissed, you know, yeah. like several weeks ago. Is it is it possible that there were some things in that locker room that weren't right and now they're right? I mean, what you know what I mean? You've been on teams like you just talked about earlier. I mean, about teams that get it and teams that think they get it, but they don't get it. But it, if you've seen that, I mean, I'm not I'm not just saying that, but you've seen a different kind of a Wisconsin, right? The last several weeks. Yeah. And no, I, I think that they they just found their identity. That might have something to do with it in the running back room because they've got this this kid, uh, Braylon Allen, who is a yeah. freshman who's really good, and Ches Malusi, who's a, a Clemson transfer, who's also a good player. Yeah. And so now you see those guys really emerging, and, and maybe they feel like they're confident in, in that they're the guys in that room and that they don't have any potential drama and again, don't know what the, the dismissal was about. Um, but I thought that their offensive line had played really poorly in the beginning of the year. I didn't think it looked like a Wisconsin offensive line. And now all of a sudden they look like the guys that we, we tend to expect over there in Madison. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, they're playing their brand of ball. It's crazy. Hey, real quick, uh, before you go, uh, you look around the nation, cause I know you keep up with this and stuff too. I thought Kenneth Walker, the third had a, uh, talk about referendums, I, you know, Came out, coming out of that game against Indiana when he was held 83 yards on 24 carries, whatever it was, you're kind of going, okay. They finally ran into a defense that could line up right, you know, and gave them – and without a pick six, they don't win that game probably, you know. And you're kind of yeah. like – your doubts are a little bit about Michigan State, and all of a sudden they come up. And and in the toughest of times of moments, this guy in particular delivers uh, with some help from his friends. But, uh, you know – as you look at the Heisman race around the country, because people are as interested in that, you know, because of Spencer Rattler falling off the beam, all these guys that were preseason favorite, Ugalala from uh, from uh, Clemson falling off the beam. Uh, but just what's your take on it? And where does Kenneth Walker the third and C.J. Stroud, for example, where do they fit in your thinking? Yeah, not a lot of dominant guys this year, um, just nationally. And, and all the name brands that, that people have talked about, Sam Howell's another name yeah. that I would throw into that conversation, have completely – um, they haven't done their part whatsoever. Uh, I know people like uh, Bryce Young from uh, Alabama. Alabama as a guy who should be in that conversation. I don't necessarily disagree. He's a quarterback on one of the best teams. Um, if you want to go that route, then you would look at a Desmond Ritter. Um, and I, the guy's name escapes me, uh, but the Jerome Ford, is it the running back for Cincinnati? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and some of the performances that he's been able to stack up you know, if, if we're talking about a year where there's not really been a dominant guy. So maybe a Cincinnati guy talks himself into the conversation. Um, I know Georgia's got a couple of guys on defense that people would love to see in New York. And if there's a year for a defensive player, I don't see why it wouldn't be this one. Um, but as I look at it, and these are the guys I cover, obviously, 
it's hard to argue against Kenneth Walker and some of the, the outstanding performances that he had. I think the one against Michigan is a Heisman statement performance simply because your team is down and you're a big reason why they come back. Nobody had ever scored five rushing touchdowns on the Wolverines. He was able to do that yeah. for almost 200 yards on a rush defense that people thought was one of the best in the conference. He said, uh, we'll see about that. Um, yeah. And then CJ, like you had mentioned, I don't know why his name isn't more prominent in this discussion. You give me reasons why, yeah. like he, outside of the Tulsa game where that's a team that consistently drops eight. So they, they cloud your windows. The dude's been good. Even against Oregon in a loss, he was really good. Yeah. Against his Minnesota in his first start in a night game on Thursday night in the rain, second half of that game, he was phenomenal. Yeah. And then a clunker against Penn State where people were like, oh, man, you know, it's not very explosive and our guys aren't getting open down the field. Nah, 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 nah. 300 yards. Yeah. yeah. Come on. I yeah. mean, what are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, and it's funny how you see guys come on and come off. I mean, that's why, you know, the whole talk about the Heisman in September is so stupid. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, you know, you look up well, and here's you're trying your to build a TV show, Tim. Yeah. And, and that's one of the talking points. I mean, yeah. if we're building TV shows in September, we got to talk about something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with college football at the beginning of the year is everybody remembers last year. You know, everybody yeah. is hanging things on last year. Clemson yeah. can't or, be. Or Texas. They're just yeah. they're thinking about Texas from like 2004. Exactly. Instead of Texas speak, from today because they're of, always going in the top 25. Speak a little bit on your past legacy like we were talking about with Nebraska. Jeez, oh, Pete. So I want to I take a moment for this one, man, because yeah. they that program gets more benefit of the doubt than any freaking program in the history of college football, just in terms of we're going to say that they're a top 25 team when they ain't yeah. what in the last handful of years yeah. has given us proof of that. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to get rid of Tom Herman and things are supposed to turn around. And I, I tweeted something today that I got to read because it, it just, it crystallizes exactly what I'm talking about. When I say year after year, Texas ain't back. I'm going to take my Twitter a, a little second to load here, of course. All right, eight games into Steve Sarkeesian's tenure at Texas. He has lost by a bigger margin than Tom Herman ever did, blown a bigger lead than Tom Herman ever did, yeah. lost more games in a row than Tom Herman ever did. That yeah. program is not back, nor do I think they will be back anytime soon. Wow. But they're going to the SEC, man. That's going to heal all wounds. Yeah, you know what? I don't know what they were thinking. And it's really interesting as a program who is big money and they have even with some of the struggles that they've had, they have been the face of the Big 12 would and, and wanted their own TV network and everything would make a decision to be the, the fifth most prominent program in the conference that they're going to go into. Yeah. If if that maybe I'm talking, you know, but but let me but let me see. We can have the conversation. I mean, dude, I'm telling you, I grew up in Texas. You know, my last eleven years of my of my first eleven years were Alabama, second eleven were Texas. Before I moved up here to the great state of Ohio, and uh, and but the bottom line is, uh, I always told people, even when they started that big the Longhorn Network, I go, well, I'm gonna be interested to see how that thing goes because when I was growing up in Texas. You were either a Texas alum and you loved Texas X's, excuse me. That's what they call them, Texas X's. You either loved Texas or you hated Texas. There was there was very little gray area in there where you, which which is where you have to find your, you know, your uh, viewers to push the uh 
to push y'all's uh, Nielsen ratings over the edge. You know, the Big Ten Network has a huge audience right now because there are alumni, alumni of all the Big Ten teams everywhere. But if it was just the Northwestern Network, you know, yeah. what would you have? I guess what I'm saying is, you know, Texas is, is, is one of those programs where a lot of people in Texas – dance when they have problems you follow my drift it's not it's not like ohio state i remember my kid went to ohio university and ohio u was playing ohio state one year and he when he's down there and ohio u actually had the lead like in the third quarter and they're all excited they're all fired up they're on court street in some bar and then all of a sudden they got all morose like well wait a minute though what if Ohio state gets beat you know because in their hearts they were ohio state fans because that's yeah that was the pride of the state, you know, and uh, and Ohio State came back and won that game, you know, and they were all happy and we gave it a good shot, but you know, go Ohio State, you know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but 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 that's kind of you know, Texas doesn't have that. I mean, I'm telling you, they don't. And uh, I think it's come. I think they're they come home to roost. But like you just said, real quick, uh, Texas and Oklahoma leaving in two years. I'll tell you the guy that I'm interested to see if you see hangs on to Luke Fickle. Uh, he understands. I think they understand that's a conference that they're moving into the Big yeah. Twelve, where they could be, they could be a big player right off the bat, and it's kind of the opposite of what Texas is going to be doing. Yeah, yeah I mean that that's one hundred percent. I mean, you can make the argument today that Cincinnati would be the best team in that conference, like right yeah. now, right? Yeah. So it's gettable. Um, obviously, there will be some more. Um... I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Dollars that would come with being in that conference. Um, and he's, what is he making, like 2.3 a year or something, yeah, like, something that like that right yeah. now? Yeah. And so, yeah, and, and I know Luke isn't necessarily motivated by money. I think he'd want to be compensated fairly, but I don't think he's out here to just chase checks. Um, what would be interesting is kind of the conversation that's going on in Big Ten country. Um, he already turned down Michigan State, and I think that was a lot to do with some of the issues that they were facing just from a – a culture standpoint. So I don't know if that's necessarily a destination that he would be very interested in if Mel Tucker did decide that he wanted to go south to LSU, for example. But James Franklin to USC, I think, is still in play even after this uh, little three-game losing streak. And I, yeah. I think that um, he is very um, – you know, it's like – I'm 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 in this for the kids. And then once the kids graduate from high school, like we can go our separate ways type situation, him and Penn State. Yeah. Is Penn State a destination for a guy like Luke Fickle? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I truly think that he could be successful there. 
he'd be able to recruit the same places he currently recruits. I think he'd be able to lock down the state of Pennsylvania. I think he can go into the DMV and get guys. I think he could put a fence around New Jersey for Penn State. Um, Like that becomes an interesting thing. And now you're in a conference that is always going to have a path to um, to one of to the CFP. Right. And you Penn State recently has been the challenger to Ohio State. Yes. And he frankly could be somebody that could put that situation over the top. Yeah. And as, yeah, as I explain it, you know, there aren't that many blue bloods in college football. Penn State's a blue blood, meaning, yep. uh, wow, you know, Nebraska it used to be a blue blood. I think Nebraska, you know, I'm, I'm not sure Nebraska, you know, as far out as it is out there, the outpost and stuff, where when, when they went into, you know, the East Coast and stuff and, and got players and even Texas and places like that. I mean, there are so many other places you can go now and play between there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but Nebraska is a bad job. We talked about, I talked to Jerry DiNardo about this. It was super interesting. Um, I, and he thinks it's a better job than what I perceive it to be um, because he thinks that you would have resources and they would, they would pay somebody, you know, seven or $8 million if they felt like that guy could win. Right. Yeah. But I told him the, the biggest reason that somebody would say they don't want to take that job is it is difficult to recruit. Yeah. And unless you're a developmental coach, you don't want to be there. And this is a conundrum when you get into that recruiting and development is the key because when you can develop guys that you've recruited that are high ranking guys, it puts you over the top. If you are somebody who is going to struggle to recruit there and you're not a developmental coach, you put a cap on what you can do. If you are a developmental coach, you are conceding that you're probably not getting big time recruits and developmental teams, the the Iowas and the Wisconsins of the world never win the national title. Yeah. Right. So yeah. what do they do? Yeah. Because they, they're somewhere in between there. They settle. You know, I mean, that's that's what happens. It, you know, you're exact. You're exact. That's the best way of putting it. I've heard so far is like that's exactly their conundrum. You know, it's like, what do we want to be? You know, are we going to continue to throw this standard? But, you know, this, Josh, before we go. You you made the you made the tour this year of all the Big Ten facilities, et cetera, all the schools. You know they're spending a lot of money. These schools are spending a lot of money on football. The the Power Five teams, most of them. I'm not sure Vanderbilt is, but most of them. Well. You know, <laughs> and they expect things, right? I mean, right. whether it's realistic or not, they it's expected, right? Yeah, it is, and, and you know, like I think that's part of James Franklin's deal at Penn State is, you know, he wants more. He yeah. wants more in terms of facilities. It's really interesting going through all the facilities. I would say that Ohio State has a bottom three or four facility in the Big Ten Conference. Wow. And um, it's probably not as, as high on the priority list because they can still out-recruit everybody and they can compete because they've got really good coaches who have proven that they can put guys in the NFL. Recruits probably overlook it a little bit coming to a place like Ohio State, but when you're Illinois and when you're Maryland and um, you know, some of these other programs when you're Northwestern, like you need to have the state of the art top of the top in order to even be in the conversation. Um, and so that's a part of it. Like Nebraska spending the money right now, the facility is. Yeah. But they, they've committed the funds to doing something bigger and better, which is what they need to do if they, they want to still stay in that conversation. Wow. You know, you know, well, the rumor is, you know, as you all know, Ohio State's you know, maybe headed toward doing something about what you just talked about, you know, know, at at this point, something I would love to see. Yeah. It's hard to believe though. I mean, I was there when, when they broke ground on the Woody Hayes Athletic Center in 1986 and Woody Hayes was there and I go, uh, and he was touting it and he goes, and I go, 
Well, and I walked up to him afterwards. I said, well, aren't you the guy that said, if you're going to play in the North Atlantic, you got to train in the North Atlantic, you know, and, uh, or going to fight in the North Atlantic, got to train in the North Atlantic. He goes, he goes, that's old school. He goes, that's, that's, that's what you got to keep up. You've got to be a leader. You've got to be a leader in this. You know what I mean? So I even caught Woody in a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a conundrum there about ethic and also about keeping up with the Joneses or maybe trying to be the Joneses. Right. I mean, yeah. uh, and, uh, it's just and, and amazing that the Woody Athletic Center would be considered one of the top, one of the bottom three or four in the league, man. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just. It is, it's not to say it's a, it's a bad nice. facility, Yeah, you know, but the way that people are doing things right now, the, the facilities are all glitz and glam and there's glass everywhere. And, um, you know, they're putting like Maryland has a freaking recording studio in the locker room or in the players lounge or whatever. Nobody uses it, but it's cool to say that you have one just yeah. in the off chance. You get a guy who likes to make a little bit of music. And it's not to say that Ohio state needs that. But one thing I did notice is that in every one of these facilities, the coach has an office and then they have a meeting room and they're separate areas. Gotcha. And at Ohio state, the coach's office is also the player's meeting room. And it's just things like that, where maybe a bigger footprint does a little bit more because they, they got the nice players lounge and they've redone the cafeteria in there. And I, the weight room isn't the biggest, but it's definitely functional. I think the training room is fine. The locker room is good. Maybe a bigger footprint so they can expand some of the areas changes the way you think about it. Um, but again, wow. when you're Ohio state, you, you could be a little bit late to that party and you can be Ryan day and you could just say, Oh yeah. You know, year two, we competed for a national championship. Oh yeah. yeah, we're just, we're winning the big 10, you know, like where's the trophy case? Where's all the rings at? You know, we, we got guys who are first round draft picks. You don't need a facility to do all that. Yeah. I, I'm going to, we can go into the parking lot and we can have that conversation. Yeah. You could have a PowerPoint presentation that would take care of that. <laughs> anyway. Hey, Joshua Perry, uh, you know, man, you're one of my favorites. Well, I, see, I say that about everybody that comes on here, but they are. Know, y'all are telling lies. Y'all are my favorites, but you know. You can man, only have a couple of favorites. Yeah, but we were sitting there at Roosters like, uh, you know, way back when one of those parties Dom DePerry put together, you know. We just, I just love having conversations with you, man, and uh, always have, you know. But uh, I appreciate we had, you. We had a good one in the parking yeah. lot of the Horseshoe after we were, uh, we yeah. were taping something in there. It was a cold night. Yeah. But we were just, you know. Going back and forth, and uh, always appreciated you. I love the press conference, ask the question, and then the follow up or two. Yeah. It's it's a classic maneuver from you, Tim, and, and uh, it's always fun listening to your podcast and watching all the stuff that you're doing in quote unquote retirement. Well, I watch every I watch every show you're on the Big Ten Network, man. I think you know you're 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 just now at the takeoff. You know, you're like SpaceX. You're just now at the takeoff uh, 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 tower of your career, but I, you know, you do an excellent job and you know that. And I mean, this is where we both pat each other on the back, but I, mine is sincere. <laughs> I'm being sincere too. Oh, I, I definitely appreciate it. It's a, you know, it, man, covering sports is one of the best jobs that you can yes. have. Yes. You know, somebody pays you to to talk about something you would probably talk about for free. I mean, I'm sitting out there in that tailgate show uh, before the game the other day, and I just love just, you know, we had Jake Ballard and Anthony Rothman sitting there from 97.1, the fan. I just love to talk about the game you know, and people always want to know how a game's going to end before it ever starts, you know, and yeah. you kind of, you know, you kind of go, hey, you got to let this play out because these get, well, Pitt State and Ohio State have had some of the best games over the last eight, nine years that you can ever see. Ohio State, yeah, now is what, eight and one in those games, mm-hmm. but they've been great games just like the other night. You know, that was, that was a fun game to watch if you didn't have a rooting interest. Agreed? I agree. And yeah. it's interesting. Um, I ought to give you a little bit more credit for the trajectory of my career. 
because we started off over there on campus, uh, you know, hopping on old radio before games and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. All good. Hey, Joshua, thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast. Hey, appreciate you. Oh, always appreciate Joshua Perry joining me. I always have great conversations with him. And that was that was one also. You agree, don't you, there, uh, Awesome? 100%. Hey, Awesome, you know, it's a strange world we live in. Everybody wrote uh, Wisconsin off for dead five or six weeks ago. They're in the race. Let's put it that way in the Big Ten West. Minnesota, you know, has proven after recovering from uh, losing its uh, number one running back, maybe the best running back in the country. We'll ask uh, Spencer Holbrook what he thinks about that uh, assessment. That's a <laughs> wink and a nudge and an inside joke. But uh, bottom line is they found a way to stay relevant and stay in there. And uh, basically, so the P.J. Fleck era has been built on more than flash, clearly. Uh, before we get back to Ohio State and the Big Ten East, uh, the Big Ten West is quite interesting, isn't it? It is. I said last week that I thought Minnesota was now the favorite on that uh half of the bracket, and yep. I feel even more strongly about that now. I still think there is something missing offensively for Wisconsin. It starts at quarterback, uh, and I just – if you're going to try and spin it forward and project who could give Ohio State a game if they handle their business in the next four weeks uh, on this side of that bracket, uh, I, I don't – we've been through this song and dance with Wisconsin before, and I don't think if you're going to go in the dome and you can't throw the football – uh, or, or, you know, try and find more consistent success than Wisconsin has had through the air. I don't think you have any shot at all against Ohio State. So, you know, Minnesota, maybe that week one game meant more to Ohio State than it, than it seemed at the time uh, with that many veteran players. And as you said, P.J. Fleck, Fleck nah, excuse me, um, putting some substance in there along with the, the sizzle. Um I mean, we know they put a lot of stake on the field when they had those jumbo packages and created some problems. Uh, and that was a that was a competitive game and a fun game. Ohio State wound up winning pretty easily. But if it hadn't been for the mystifying Bowling Green loss, which and I now wish that I had got to see exactly how that happened to, to talk about it a little bit more. I mean, you're talking about a team whose only loss is to Ohio State, who's in position to win the West, and that could have been a top 10, top 15 who knows how high showdown uh, that meant more in Indianapolis. But as you alluded to, now it just looks like a mess where there's not really, you know, a marquee opportunity there uh, to come out on that side of the, of the big 10. But uh, you know, that last game of the season looks like that'll be the West division championship. It's in Minneapolis. Uh, I still think that at this point, the Gophers are the team that will emerge there. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed, you know, and like, like Joshua and I talked about, you know, the thing about Minnesota, they're, they're playing trestle ball to a certain extent. I mean, taking right. all the seconds off of the play clock they can, trying to get to the fourth <laughs> quarter with a chance to win, uh, you know, put themselves in a position to win, and then they're winning those games, you know. And uh, that's what stands out about it. They found another way to do it after losing their – basically their best player, their most spectacular player. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see if they can finish down the stretchers. These are these next four weeks are going to be challenging for anybody in the Big Ten, definitely for Ohio State. And uh, but yes, uh, Minnesota I think is a team to watch there. But Wisconsin, you got to give it up to Wisconsin for finding a way too, you know, and uh, to to be relevant because it sure didn't look like they were going to be relevant uh, three or four weeks into the year, and here they are sitting there in a in a pretty good race, right? Yeah, and I mean Paul Christ is a uh, a proven commodity 
So it's not surprising that he yeah. uh, would find some ways to get guys uh, to buy in and improve as the season goes on. And, you know, Wisconsin can be fit in that same bucket that we, in some ways, the way we've talked about a lot of teams, whether that's Ohio state or Clemson or whoever, like it would, COVID changed a lot of things and Wisconsin is a heavy development program. So, I mean, they don't build around four and five star guys. So you take away all that time in their strength program or in a spring practice or a training camp or playing game, any of that stuff, like it's significant. So maybe it shouldn't come as a surprise that uh, Wisconsin would get stronger and better as the season would go on because they've got a coach and and a track record of doing it at a high level. So, uh, you know, they've been on that every other year kind of schedule to go play Ohio State and Indianapolis. So they have the opportunity now to do that. Yeah. Potentially. That's funny. Yeah. You know, and, and we saw we saw with the COVID. Is it is can we call it the era now or is it over even yet? But uh, <laughs> I don't know what, if it's over yet. Yeah. We saw what the pandemic did to Ohio State and even this development, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, especially about knowing who you got and why you got them and uh, what they're going to do. And uh uh, you know, like yeah. you and I were talking about, and especially you after the game the other night, you know, let's just get into Ohio State a little bit, headed toward Nebraska. What was troubling to you is they're still throwing these packages out there occasionally defensively. Well, not occasionally, still pretty good bid. And, you know, what's, what's wrong with finding your 11, 13, 15 best guys and letting them play ball, you know, despite the situations? Um you saw it backfire on Ohio State a couple of times, even the other night with 13 men on the field or whatever. You know, as long as it's more than 11, it doesn't really matter. But they got caught in the flip flop. It wasn't. It wasn't that they had 13 line up, but uh, they got caught in the flip flop. But you know, uh, we've still seen this defense take dramatic strides. And you know, like you and Zach Boren talk about on the Buck IQ this week, which is one of my favorite things I see on on the internet every week. Uh, you know, the three turnovers were no joke. The three turnovers were huge in that game, uh, even though they didn't get a pick six like I predicted. And they definitely did, did get a pick six from Steel Chambers because he got kicked out of the game. He got a kick six. But uh, but the bottom line is, though, they still made plays that were huge in that game, not the least of which was Jerron Cage's <laughs> breathless <laughs> uh, uh, scoop and score. Uh, I think he's still in the oxygen tent as we speak. But uh, – <laughs> There's no doubt that defense has made big strides. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I do. And, you know, I, my only, you know, quibble with it is what you talked about, the uncertainty of who's going to be out there on given snaps and the rotation of the personnel and the mass subs and in situations that don't allow for it. And Penn State's not substituting so I don't know well, how Ohio State's trying to match personnel when the personnel is unchanged. That doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Uh, I'm not ever going to sit here and really just say, this is what I think the depth chart should be. I don't get to watch practice every day. They make decisions in the Woody for reasons that are far more informed than mine. Uh, I do know when I watch Steel Chambers that Ohio State's defense is noticeably different. And so I wonder what goes into some of the decisions that they've made at linebacker. Uh, I know what I've seen from Tyleek Williams when he's been on the field at defensive tackle wreaking havoc, and that's not a knock on Ty Hamilton or Antoine Jackson or any Jerron Cage who's scooping up to score. And just sometimes I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't understand fully the picture there, and I under, and I get that part. That's it's I don't I'm not paid to draw up the depth chart or make those decisions, and I know that Ohio State's not just throwing darts at a board. But, oh well, it's this guy's turn. 
Um, you know, they're doing that for a reason, but this, it does seem to be operating at a much more, in a much more seamless fashion. And I think it would have looked even more impressive if anyone wearing uh, a black and white shirt on Saturday knew what holding was on the offense, because those were some of the most egregious examples I've ever seen. Uh, so, you know, I think there may be a tendency to look at the passing yards that Ohio state gave up. Like, Oh, you know, now this problem's coming up. I don't think that was it. No. I think if Tommy Eichelberg is not tackled to the ground, then you don't get a 25 yard completion. Yeah. If Lathan Ransom isn't just grabbed around the neck and, and wrangled to the turf on a blitz. You don't get the football out of your hand. You know, Ohio state gave up what 33 rushing yards. And I think if the, if the holding situations had been, uh, if that had been addressed earlier on in the game and it had stopped, I think all those numbers would have looked very different, but those two things that I mentioned there, Lathan Ransom, if he's coming on a blitz, Eichenberg coming on a blitz, that wasn't like, I don't, I barely remember Ohio State doing anything aggressive schematically in terms of pressure against Oregon. And that, so that would have looked like a completely different, you know, concept and defense than what they did in week two. And they deserve credit for looking at that and improving as the year went on. This is something I don't know the mechanics of. So I'm just throwing it out there from the standpoint of discussion, but, uh, uh, do officiating crews get a scolding? Do they ever get a scolding? Do they, you know, how, I don't know the answer to that. I know that somewhere somebody's got to be going, why didn't you, you know, as we know, these crews basically review the games together and watch a video sometimes right after the game. I know they used to do that at the Woody A Center. Uh, they would reserve a, a place for them to watch a replay and see what they did right and wrong, you know, after, after the game. I'm not sure they whether they do that anymore uh, or, or when they do it, but oh my god, oh my goodness, you know, I mean, I kind of let games go, you know, like the Steel Chambers thing. I still think, you know, as we well know, they've got to address again targeting and whether targeting, even if it happened, even if it looks like it happened, was there harm done? You know what I mean? Uh, but still, kind of dropped his head. You could see it on slow motion, kind of dropped his head before he made the contact. So by the letter of the law of the letter of the law this week, as it's being interpreted by Big Ten officials, he was gone for the game, which was huge in that game. I know you agree with me on that because you just talked about Steel Chambers. But these but holding when when people sitting way up there who paid good money, you know, just ask them to sit up there in D deck and C deck can see a jersey being pulled. And no call on on a guy who is hell bent to get to the quarterback, and you just wonder: is there a scolding involved the next day by Big Ten officials by Corolla? I mean, you know, who who? What do you think? What do you think happens there? Well, it's one of the biggest problems with uh, college football officiating nationwide is that you very rarely get any of the public accountability. And we know that there is some, like they're graded. You know, the, the directors of officiating from the various leagues will look at them and then the, the league is assigning which crews work which games. And you would have thought that something as meaningful and significant as Ohio State, Penn State would get one of the elite crews. If that's the best that the Big Ten has or the second best, depending on, you know, whatever you think about the officiating in Michigan, Michigan State, which was also pretty bad. Yeah. For both teams that were involved in that. Yeah. I understand that they have a hard job and that they're not going to get everything right to call zero offensive holding penalties on Penn State in that game oh. 
defies belief. And so, you know, they may get less plum assignments. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to mess up severely enough in the eyes of the, uh, you know, powers that be for them to get suspended for a week. But a lot of times you see that and you don't even, you don't know. They're not yeah. putting out releases. They're not saying, well, they missed these calls. Very rarely are you going to see an apology. If they if it change an outcome, sometimes you'll get that. Um, seen that in other leagues in years past, but I think that that's one of the biggest problems to him is that, you know, nobody really knows what their grades are. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe there's not that many people that would care about it, but when, when things are clearly wrong and there's no seemingly no accountability for it, then you just wonder, well, how are they ever going to fix these problems? Yeah. Cause it's not new that big 10 officiating is bad. We've seen this before, and what the same thing happened with the holding calls at Penn State in the Ohio State-Penn State game a year ago, and it happens in most games that Ohio State plays because their pass rushers are so freaking good, you don't have any other chance. That's why I joke that it must be legal to hold Ohio State. Yeah. It's the only way to make some of these games well, uh, even up front, but it's that's the part that you're saying that I like. there has to be something so that we know, all right, these guys messed up. Like the NBA does that with the two minute report, you know, uh, and what's the yeah. harm in it? What's the, yeah. harm? they get it wrong. Everyone makes mistakes, but at least let's say what they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. When, when you've got really three people watching holding on a play, two of them behind the, behind the line of scrimmage and there's no flag on any of those. What are you, what are you watching? You know, is the, is the number one question that, that, you know, and then number two, uh, why aren't you watching this? You know, I mean, right in the middle of the of the play, there's a blatant hold. There's a guy being taken down, like you said, like it was a, a rodeo and it was calf roping or uh, whatever they call it, steer wrestling. I mean, yeah. right in front of you. You know, then you think back to the Thayer Munford, and I don't even remember the crew, whether it was a Pac-12 crew or not, that, that did the Ohio State, uh, Ohio State uh, Oregon game. But their Munford did not hold behind a play, a scramble by C.J. Stroud, which got would have kept a drive going that was huge in that game, as you remember. And, and like like their Munford explained it, well, I kind of put myself in a position to where it sort of looked like that. You know, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but this that's, that's not what you're supposed to call. You're not supposed to call something that looks like this. You're supposed to call whether or not he's got a hold of somebody and keeping them from getting to the play. See, that's what's mind-numbing for people. Uh, when they look back on games, because I'm telling you, a 10-yard penalty is huge in any kind of setting, uh, especially a, in a in a tight ball game. And uh, this idea you just got to roll with the punches or roll with the punches that are allowed to be thrown that shouldn't be thrown. Now, that's not the way you have a boxing match. Even, even you know, the, what is that, the rules of – marquee rules of boxing or whatever it's called. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> I just thought it's – thought I'd bring it up because I knew you had an opinion on it. I definitely have an opinion on it. Something has to be done. But, to, but then the flip side of it is you can call holding on every play, as you well know. Somebody's grabbing somebody's shoulder pad or something, and uh, you don't want to go that way either, right? Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I don't blame Penn State for doing it because if they're not going to call any holding, then there's no there's no downside to that strategy. Yeah. I think it's a, a lot like anything that, you know, when that comes up that you can call holding on, on basically every play in a college football or any football game, really. But I think the point is that you, if you take control of that early on and you get a message that this, all right, well, we're not gonna be able to get away with this. 
then a lot of it stops. The egregious, the egregious holdings are what get called. Yeah. You said that stop somebody from making a play. Yeah. Like it, here you got a, a guard and a defensive tackle mixed up and the play goes the other way. And, you know, they may have just got a handful of Jersey, like, all right, that, it didn't affect anything. You don't have to throw a flag on that. Um, but we saw so many egregious examples of that, that were clearly negating a sack or a chance to deflect a football or who knows what could have happened. You know, that stuff, all you have to do is call that once or twice early on. And I, and then it's, it's clear what the standard is going to be moving forward. But th- that one got so out of hand. Yeah. Then you're just, you know, you're probably in a situation where you're as an official, like, well, I don't know. That one wasn't as worse as the other one that we didn't call. So I think we're just going to have to let that one go. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't buy that. But think about it real quick before we move on. That could have been one of the great games in defensive front four history or Ohio State defensive front four history, or at least in recent history, uh, and definitely front seven, the way they finally turned to the blitz because, uh, you know, they had to turn to the blitz because they were letting Penn State hold certain in certain moments, and they turned to the blitz and were fairly effective on occasion. They gave up a, a few plays that they wished they had back. But uh, when you got to, like, kind of come out of your own character defensively because guys aren't able to get home, yeah, it's you know it does it does affect games. You know it it it, it really does. Golly, I don't know why I got so. I just hate it when you can see it so blatantly and nothing happens. Uh, like you said, a guy that's going to about make a play, maybe the play of his career, and uh, he's held back. You know, it's too bad. I was going to think of some funny analogy there, but I'm not in a funny mood. Now I'll get in a funny mood. Um, Trevion Henderson, welcome to the big time. Welcome the welcome to the NIL as I call the college football now, but uh, wow, 25, 26 carries, hundred something yards. Uh, most of his yards came on about five carries. That was yeah. definitely uh, running into brick walls a lot of times for him. The offensive line is as you as you and I talked about. That was not their finest hour by any stretch uh, for Ohio State. But uh, uh, Trevion Henderson proved himself worthy of being a collegian. Uh, I think he probably already had, but this was a time when they turned to him. And for the most part, he answered the bell with a few exceptions when he was sitting there with an ice pack on his left knee. We'll see where that goes down the stretch here. But uh, he grew up in that game, didn't he? Yeah. And, um, you know, the next next part of that is figuring out uh, how severe, you know, that knee or leg or whatever, you know, issue he's dealing with. We saw him limp out of the – uh, media room on Saturday night and yeah. still probably feeling that for a couple of days. And we, I asked him about that. Uh, I guess it was last Wednesday night, you know, just, you know, wanting carries, wanting a full workload, getting used to the wear and tear on the body. Cause it's very different for him. You know, it, it's well known and documented at this point. He didn't play a senior year of high school. It's been, he probably never faced a defense that could do to him what Penn state did to make him earn his yards. And that's not, He's played some fine competition there in Virginia, but, uh, you know, nothing like this um, in, you know, top ranked or top, whatever they were, number two, maybe in the country in rush defense, Penn State coming in, um, you know, and they, they were bound and determined not to let him win that game, but he found a way that 60, a dash around the corner was a 68. uh, He found another gear and I didn't think, First of all, that he could get the angle to get to the sideline the way he did, and then to be able to cut it up and head downfield, that, that was just a special-looking yeah. play to get that opportunity to dash downfield. He made that happen. Now, the blocking up front gets him in position. 
Uh, they got him five or six yards, and he really got the rest with his yeah. with the way he could pull away. You saw the other one that broke late, where he did not have the uh, the speed uh, that he normally does to accelerate away, and he started looking for the stiff arm early because you could tell that he was, you know, not himself. And I think for Ohio State to potentially go down the road and win a national championship, he's going to have to be at a high level and uh, can't be limited by that, whatever it is. I don't know how long it'll last, but I know that'll be a conversation and talking point for us for the next couple of days with practice report and uh, availability report on Saturday and all that stuff. Like that's a big deal because he has, as you said, proven to be a key, key cog in this Ohio state offense and they are going to need him. Yeah. Uh, maybe not that much on Saturday, which could be helpful for Ohio State. Uh, maybe not against Purdue. I don't know. But going to go toe-to-toe with another Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, even though they're not only going to be on the field at the same time. Uh, Ohio State's going to need and want him available for that Michigan State game for sure. And, of course, ladies and gentlemen, he's referring to Kenneth Walker III, who had a, <laughs> had a game of games. Uh, it's been a long time since a running back at Michigan State had that kind of game, that impactful right. Uh, a performance and, and right when it was needed. And of course it came against their bigger brother, uh, uh, Michigan at exactly the right so time. Are they going to just ch- change the birth order for these two or? Yeah. I'm not sure they're not. I'm not sure they weren't uh, uh, twins, but you know, sometimes your little brother grows up and beats a snot out of you, you know? And I remember watching my younger brother, Mike beat the snot out of my older brother, Ben quite a few times. And uh, it happens, <laughs> man. Be, Beware of the path you uh, pave. Somebody, somebody else may come down that road going 400 miles an hour and knock you over. But, uh, <laughs> but I digress. Bottom line is, uh, yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, awesome. Before we finish here, um, CJ Stroud, you know, stood tall. I mean, the other night made some plays. Didn't maybe make some plays he could have, et cetera. And uh, as I opined in the middle of that game, man. You know, and Joshua Perry and I talked about it too just a little while ago. A run or two or three by him could really change a lot of things. You know, no, do you line up and just force a guy to run? It doesn't probably that's not his best, it's not his cup of tea. No, you don't, but man, it would you can just see how it would change the dynamic in a game like the other night. And I keep thinking back to that 2019 game when Justin Fields changed everything by running. Uh, I think he had more carries that night than Ohio State's maybe maybe. Uh, I'm trying to think, J.K. Dobbins, how many carries he had in that game. But but it does change things. But I think that's the only – that's the one thing you want to see maybe change dynamically about this offense headed forward because it could – with that, it would really be complete. Uh, I just want to know what your thought is on that. Kind of a two minds uh, on that, and it's not not meant as a cop-out in any way. I don't I mean run 50 times now. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, I, I think of – you know, Dwayne Haskins in this, uh, I find these two to be very similar. Yeah. So you in Dwayne Haskins and, and Dwayne, not only, not only did he want to throw first, but they were certainly, you know, not wanting him to run at all early on. We talked about that even with Justin Fields, you know, his first year here, even though he could do it, you know, they didn't really want to risk it with the injury. You know, I don't think they have to completely be in that same boat with Kyle McCord behind CJ Stroud, but, you know, that, that game down in Dallas against TCU, like Dwayne just had to keep it once because TCU was selling out to stop it and he got a free stroll, didn't even really have to run. He could he could have walked uh, backwards into the end zone and scored. 
Um, the same can be true for CJ Stroud. So I think in, yes. in limited doses, you know, and sometimes all it takes is the fact that Dwayne did it once so that other teams have to be more cognizant of it moving forward, you know, once or twice with CJ Stroud potentially just talking about in the red zone, even yes. limited to that package. Um, you know, that changes the dynamic and it evens the numbers in the box. You know, Urban Meyer used to talk about that all the time because he, you know, he would go, he was much more, um, uh, in love with quarterback power and quarterback counter, right? That's not it still happen. is. It looks like. <laughs> it yeah, you're right. Uh, obviously, that's not going to be part of the arsenal here for C.J. Stroud and Ryan Day. But well, let me interrupt you though, because we're sitting there right next to each other, pretty close to each other in the press box, and there was one, uh, one of those, one of those uh, red zone moments where a naked boot by C.J. Stroud, he would have walked in, you know. Instead, he hands off to Travion Henderson. I think it was right into the teeth of that Penn State defense, which you just so eloquently put it a while ago, was was just fired up to, like, Travion Henderson, you're not going to beat us, even though he did help beat them. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It, just one play changes everything. Go ahead. Yeah, and so the, and the other part of that, so the, the, the second of the two mind thinking there is that I understand why if you have Travion Henderson, if you have uh, arguably and most <laughs> had looked as the, like to be the nation's best offensive line, if you've got capable tight ends, and Cade Stover and Jeremy Ruckert and, or a, a fullback, uh, quote-unquote, and Mitch Rossi, yeah. that, that you may feel like there's no need to even add that part in and that you would rather, if you are committed to winning on the ground, doing it in a more traditional fashion with your running back, with your offensive line. And I, I get all that. I think that's why I say I agree with you that once or twice you show that wrinkle, you know that it's part of it, you're probably going to score the first time you use it, and then you may not have to go back to it again. I, I don't. I just don't think it'll be a key part of Ohio State's playbook. But it's it's got to be something that they keep in their hip pocket. Maybe they are just keeping it in their in their hip pocket to wait for Michigan State uh, or a trip to Ann Arbor down the road. Um, you know, I, they've never been in a situation that's truly desperate and said, uh, "Whatever it takes, CJ, go do it." Yeah. Uh, and as and as you said all along, like it still never really felt like Ohio state was going to lose to Penn state on Saturday night. And it wasn't empty the chamber and do whatever you have to do. Um, maybe when it gets down to that time in two weeks or so, maybe that's what we'll see. I do agree. At some point he's probably going to have to punch in a touchdown with his feet. All, we, all I know is like we just, you just talked about it by Dwayne Haskins jr. That game at Maryland, man, it was put up or shut up and uh, they needed him to run and he did run. <laughs> I mean, that, that was a difference in that game, really, uh, late. I mean, it, it, def, it helped make a difference in that game. And what was the final score in that game, 52 to 51? Uh, why, did they score, why, did, uh, why did they score 52? Because <laughs> they needed to score 52. But the bottom line is that that was something that definitely caught um, Maryland off guard. And Ohio State ends up in the uh, – I think they ended up in the – they ended up in the playoffs that year? I think – no. No, 2018. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know where I'm going. I'm, I'm, you know, all these gay, all these uh, years kind of run together for me anymore, man. But uh, we will see it. I just talked the other night. That was a play that could have just popped that game wide open, just like that pass to Olave, where they were not on the same playbook, not not on the same uh, uh, page in the in the chapter of that playbook. And uh, it was just just those things happen, you know. As old Woody Hayes. Uh, Barred the line from Daryl Royal. You know, three things happen when you throw the ball. Two of them are bad. Well, that was an example of that. But uh, 
But uh, we'll see where they go. Hey, let's, one last thought on this uh, trip to Nebraska. 11 a.m. start out there. Uh, I, I'm not sure that's going to affect this Ohio State football team like a lot of people think. You know, if that really made a difference in Oregon, would have gotten blown out in Ohio Stadium way back when. Uh, remember that way back when earlier in the year? Uh, yeah. but, it does uh, feel like a very long time ago. Yeah, yeah. It, you know what? Seriously, it really, it really truly does. Of course, college football playoff rankings this week, they, they come out after we're recording this. But uh, we'll see if, in fact, the committee thinks it's thinking the same way. You know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, do you expect any, you know, what, what's the biggest uh, challenge, you think, taking a team on the road and playing at uh, 11 a.m., which will be 11 a.m. local time in Lincoln? I think it's not necessarily when they kick off. It's that you have to guard against the physical hangover, like the Penn State. That is a talented team. Yep. You know, they they took some shots. We talked about Travion Henderson, obviously. Uh, you know, the, they had to earn it defensively. And those guys threw their bodies around a lot. And, and that will take a toll. So the fact that you have that relatively quick or quicker turnaround, you go on the road, you play early, you know, uh, as you said, Scott Frost trying desperately to save his job uh, and, and cling to, some, you know, have something to point to on his resume. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, th- I think all the trap game signs are just clear enough that Ohio State you know, will know, well, hey, you, you have to get to sleep early. You have to you know, maybe alter some of the stuff you do during the week so that your body is ready uh, at an earlier time. You know, make sure that you're getting all the treatment that you need because there's not going to be an excuse. Like you, you are better than Nebraska in every way, one through 85, but uh, they're also big 10 athletes on that team who lift weights and, and have scholarships and, and do have uh, coaches with some big 10 experience now. So they're not just going to cruise right through it. So right, I, I think they're in a position where like sometimes the trap games are clear in hindsight you know, the Purdue, the Iowa, like, ah, oh, well, it, it kind of made sense and they weren't ready. Like this one, like Ohio State should see clearly, like these are the challenges that are there. They should be able to attack them. It doesn't guarantee that they will. I think they will, but, you know, they, it's laid out for them that they know here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to be aware of. Don't let 11 a.m. beat you. Yeah. Like that's, you know, if you're going to lose the game, don't let it be because you weren't ready to play at 11 a.m. Good point. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that point will be made about 10,000 times in the Woody Hayes Center <laughs> this week. You agree, right? Hey, I uh, do agree. Yes. Hey, like I said, we're we're recording this before the college football playoff rankings come out. So let's be, as I like to say, soothsayers. Uh, what is your – what do you what do you think that when people are listening to this on Tuesday night or Wednesday after the uh, rankings come out on Tuesday night, what do you think the top four will be? Uh, not maybe not necessarily in order, but give me give me the top four. You know, I, I honestly don't know the right way to answer this, Tim, because I don't, you don't care because there's four weeks left, five it, weeks left. It's not even that. I mean, I have written that pretty much every single year that the first Tuesday night selection shows it existed. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything because Ohio State is in control of their future here. Uh, it means rankings. It means rankings uh, for uh, ESPN, but go ahead. Well, of course, and it, it means rankings, ratings. And ratings, ratings, both. And and I understand that point of it. The problem that I have 
is that the logic that they will use on Tuesday night this week will be different than the logic they use on the following Tuesday night. And I think it's unfair to everyone involved, mainly the fans of college football, people who are involved in trying to get there. If it changes and these discussion points are all dependent on 12 people who don't stick with a consistent approach. Like we know, I, I, I think what's going to happen. I, I know your question was who are the top four, but I don't know what logic they will use to determine that tonight. So Georgia is going to be number one. I know that. I'm pretty sure that they'll put Cincinnati in the top four. I think because Oklahoma has a zero in the loss column, they will be there. And, uh, you know, I don't know what they will do. I'm going to guess that they're going to give Alabama a mulligan. And then they'll cite the eye test for that. Although Ohio State, I think, has aced the eye test better than anybody else, save for Georgia. Everyone wants to see Ohio State's offense and Georgia's defense. But Michigan State has a zero. Yep. Shouldn't they be in a better position if they are – uh, leading or co-leading the Big Ten Michigan race. State has a much. Michigan State has a better quality win, clearly than than Alabama. Also, and Alabama has a loss. Yeah. So I say that like that's what's going to be what they're going to choose from, but you're going to get into situations like, you know, Ohio State is going to be compared always. It seems to always revolve around this team, and the all arguments are shifting and changing, uh, even all the way up until December. But in the end, we know that Ohio State's resume is going to be better than Oregon's. So, and they're going to be, have a better eye test. They're going to have more top 25 wins. They're potentially both going to have a conference championship. And obviously they played each other. But you're only supposed to use head-to-head if you think that the all, right. all else is even. And that won't be the case. Um, so are we going to pretend on November 2nd that the, the committee is not ultimately going to put Ohio State in ahead of Oregon? Uh, are they going to pretend right now that Cincinnati is a more complete team than Ohio State? I mean, I'm not – I don't care what they do on Tuesday night, and I know that it's designed to get us talking about it and worked up. And I am sitting here, and I, I guess I already am. But I'm trying to make the point that if there was a consistent use of their guidelines and, and thinking from week to week, then you could put more stock in it. But – I don't know what they're going to do this week because they've never consistently done that at any point throughout the history of this organization. You know what, you know what though, is it, it, what they know and what you know, and they do this all for, 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 uh, uh, I was going to almost said a bad word there, hooks and giggles. Uh, <laughs> they do this for hooks and giggles because they know, they know how state is going to determine its own fate over the next five weeks. Uh, with that finishing spade against Michigan State, Michigan, and playing a Big Ten championship game, they know Alabama and Georgia could sort itself out in a in a uh, SEC championship game if, in fact, Georgia beats Alabama. All right, that takes care of Alabama. You know what I mean? If Alabama gets there, Georgia's already clinched a spot in the SEC championship game, and it's not even November yet. So, talk to me, folks, about what matters. Uh, but then, uh, and they know UC. Is there a feel-good story if you see wins out and Oklahoma is sitting right there? If it wins out, you got to figure. So you know, it's it's really it's really going to be does Ohio State win out or Michigan State win out? Either one, but if Ohio State or Michigan State wins out, that takes care of that question. If Georgia wins out, that takes care of that question. And then you got the feel goods uh, with with University of Cincinnati, and then you got Oklahoma sitting there, which should win out. 
you know, it's already, I think it's already figured out. Like you just said, this is like you reward maybe Oregon for beating Ohio State, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, but then Ohio State has the tougher schedule down the stretch than Oregon does. So then you can come back to that argument. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. That's the problem is that if they come out in their first week and they say that the head-to-head win matters, they're setting a precedent where in two weeks when they inevitably move Ohio State ahead of Oregon, as the and they will say, well, the body of work is different. Yeah. That's fine. But it's not going to be dramatically different in two weeks than it yeah. is right now. Yeah. If you already think that that's going to happen, I just think they would they would win so much more credibility over, and they wouldn't have to face a question, well, what changed this week? If you had Oregon ahead for two or three weeks, or you know, I don't know if that's going to be the case when this yeah. comes up 12 hours from now. But I don't either. But there always will be something that they do that they set a precedent that this committee, oh, we're going to learn what this group of 12 people, how it's different than the years past. We're going to understand what they value. No, you're not. You're going to understand what they did for week one, but in two weeks they're going to throw it all away and do something else that yeah. doesn't make any sense. And then they're going to have to answer questions about why two weeks it is and now two weeks is completely different. Like just, just, I don't know. I just throw my hands up and say, what, why are we doing this? Well, they pretty much the answer they always give is, well, just because, you know, I mean, they, they have other words after that, but you know, yeah. you just think back to 2014, oh. I state beach, Wisconsin, what was it? 59 to nothing. Are you kidding me? in the championship game to erase that Virginia Tech memory. Uh, and uh, and then TC, I think it was TCU was left out, right? But uh, yeah. bottom line, well, you know, now Gary Patterson's out of a job uh, at TCU. You know, who knows what that would have meant to his resume. And, of course, they had a lot of problems after that that didn't even uh, talk about football. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they can make any argument they want. This is just purely uh, a ratings play and a uh, relevance play and, and all this kind of stuff. The only thing that is good about this, though, is – it gives guys like me and you a chance to see what they are thinking and the fans to see what they are thinking, what they're claiming matters, but they're going to hedge everything too. They have to, man. College football is so crazy this year. You know, we're just talking about, I was talking about best case scenarios for college football finishing the way you think it could be. You know, I mean, Houston's one of the hottest teams out there, you know, is uh, Cincinnati going to handle Houston at the end of the year in an AAC championship game? You know, there are all kinds of things that are going to happen. Uh, that, that that are going to alter what we're thinking, but then again, those things may not happen. So then you're going to we, we're going to be reverting back to what you said on November the second. Well, yeah, Oregon winning head to head mattered, you know, but on December the whatever will it matter? I mean, it's that's what's crazy about it. Of course, everybody out there knows that they just like to argue about it. But I, and I think that that's one problem with. I mean. I don't know. I don't, I feel like I shouldn't even say this because we were about to end the podcast, but <laughs> you know, when they, when they talk about the expansion efforts and the, ex, you know, the deal coming, the television deal contracts coming to market yeah, and like trying to get Fox involved or trying to get uh, NBC or CBS or anybody else to broadcast the games. One of the issues that you have with ESPN controlling all of it is that, you know, they can, and, and, incentivize and encourage these selection shows because it's all on their air. So the fact that we all have to talk about it and tune in and then debate about it. And it, you know, ESPN just laughs all the way to the bank about it. If it, if it was on various networks, would they all agree? We're going to do this six times. Uh, We're going to designate Tuesday night. We're going to broadcast it. Um, You know, you know, pay to do this and sell ads for it. 
Like who, who gets to do that and where does it go? I would hope that it would just go away. You don't have to say anything if you're these 12 people until the day after the championships. Yeah. Like don't, we can all speculate and know who's probably in position to do it, but it, like the weekly updates at this point are not accomplishing anything yeah. except making money for everybody else, Yeah, not even on the field. And that's the part that sucks to me because there's no actual value to it. Well, here's the, here's the media, and it's in a cage. It's like tigers in a cage, and it's just them throwing meat into the cage. That's what they're, well, they're throwing meat into the cage and letting everybody get all upset or happy about it and because the one guy got the meat, but the other guy didn't, and he's fighting this guy. And that's all it is, man. It's meat in the cage. It sounds like, I mean, I, even just saying it out loud feels hypocritical because obviously I will have yeah. a problem about it. On Tuesday night, yeah, we were referencing these rankings moving. Let me forward. let me let me interrupt you, and I'll retweet it. I'll retweet it immediately. Go ahead now. And we are we've talked about it now. We weren't even planning to talk about it, and we talked about it for ten minutes on this podcast. And the rankings aren't even out yet. Yeah. So um, you bet it's in the beer. But go ahead. Hey, preach. Um, that's you know, but that's we we've covered college football for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And. I said it before and I will say it again that the debate, the fact that it's unwieldy and chaotic and difficult to understand at times is part of what makes it great. And um, yeah, if we just have to, you know, bite our lip and embrace debate, so be it. And it beats this system as flawed as it is and whatever you want to call it, beats a hell out of. Uh, Beats the hell out of wire service championships. Give me a break, man. I grew up in that era, and uh, you know I could I, I could probably start a fire here if I wanted to about one in particular year, but I won't do that because I most of the coverage I do most of you know, whatever people like like or dislike Ohio State football, so I'm gonna leave it at that. But awesome, man. Appreciate you being on with me again, as you well know, man. This is another, another little bit of a bumpy flight, but we got through it because we have we have veterans at the controls. And uh, sorry about the coffee getting spilled in your lap there, uh, but that's the way it goes sometimes on these flights. And uh, and I definitely appreciate Joshua Perry. But you know what? Speaking for Awesome Ward, this is Tim May. Until next week, we'll see you then. It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil and Body Butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the best seller's body care set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER.